We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. Oh, see you, Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. And today is a special episode because we do have a guest on. His name is William Faddick. Sorry, I just... Watch that already. You can tell it's Thursday and it's been a grindy week by just how I pronounced the name William McFadden, which is an easy name to pronounce. And somehow I got it wrong. But his name is William McFadden. I'm not going to waste any time by giving his his intro. I'm going to let him do that for me because obviously I'm fumbling on my words to start. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee, sit back. William, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do covering the Falcons, where people can find your work, and then you know where people can find your podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, first off, thanks for having me on, uh, Dan. It's week three for all of us, so don't worry. You nowhere nowhere to go but up from, from there. And for, and, for, and for people who cover the Giants and the Falcons, week three of these days and like for the past few years at least for the giants is like week nine like it's like oh, yeah. in, in years of an actual aging it's like week nine <laughs> yeah it it's definitely it's <laughs> taken them uh they've stumbled out of the gates the falcons have for for the past few years but we'll we'll get to all of that um but uh up at the top people can uh listen to my podcast believe in falcons um i am one of the co-hosts with former fullback ovi mahaley um so he's he's my co-host and and we kind of have that role in now twice a week um on mondays and fridays kind of recapping the game and then previewing the next one um i write for the falcoholic so any of my written stuff uh can be there you can follow me on twitter uh at will mcfadden so you know throughout the game i'll be tweeting thoughts obviously they're going to be more falcons oriented but i try to be um pretty objective and and open-minded about both sides because i just love football um i spent the last four years working um, as a reporter for the Atlanta Falcons. So I was in the building, kind of got to see it all um, up close and personal. And yeah, I just, I mean, I love this game and I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to just start by diving into like a 30,000 foot view here. I, I'm going to just ask you first, Will, to talk a little bit about the Falcons offensive line, because there's a few reasons I want to talk about this group. One, the Giants offensive line has been a point of subject for fans for quite some time now. It's been about a decade since they've had a serviceable offensive line. Week two, the Giants generated offense, but on film, the offensive line looked terrible in my mind. There were multiple sore spots in pass pro. The run game didn't get going at all with the exception of the zone read game that Daniel Jones essentially generated on his own. The Falcons, to me, are in a similar position right now from watching a little bit what I've watched. I watched the condensed version game of that Tampa game, and I've read that, you know, as of right now, Matt Ryan's air yards, Matt Ryan's, you know, depth of target is at an all-time low right now, and I believe that has a lot to do with the offensive line. And so... yeah. What happened here? Because the Falcons have invested so much draft capital into this line, and yet it still seems to be a disaster. Yeah, I mean, it definitely Matt Ryan's uh, his his average depth of target is is like shockingly low so far this year. Because obviously the offense has changed, and Arthur Smith has has come in here, and the they are different schematically. Uh, Dirk Cutter, who was in here previously, was more of a disciple of vertical downfield passing. So Matt Ryan's always put up good numbers, but even the past couple of years, like really strong numbers so far this year, man, it's, it's just not been what we've expected. And, and I do think Matt for throwing two pick sixes um, that essentially cost them the game uh, in what was turning out to be a pretty good game against Tampa Bay last weekend throughout that game, people were actually really praiseworthy or praising Matt Ryan because he was playing really well he had bounced back from that first week and in the first week it was all about the offensive line for Atlanta and it was specifically Jalen Mayfield who was making his first start um and just I mean his pro football focus I think pass blocking grade was in the single digits and it he just got completely overwhelmed um but he played much better in week two and that's always been the thing for the Falcons with the offensive line is, yes, they've invested first round picks in, in Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom and Kayla McGarry. And those guys are are good players. Now they've got two new draft picks in there kind of um, handling centers, Matt Hennessy, who was, I believe, a third round pick last year. And then Jalen Mayfield, who was a third round pick um, this year in there at left guard. It's always come down to kind of one or two spots for Atlanta. And, and I think that Thomas Dimitrov, uh, told me once that it's it's kind of like links in a chain and the chain is strong as long as there are no broken or weak links no rusted iron links in that chain and and for the falcons they do have some good offensive linemen jake matthews i think is is a very very serviceable good nfl left tackle i have very high hopes for chris lindstrom caleb mcgarry is kind of a league, league average right tackle but you can win with that that's not necessarily a weak link in the chain what you can't have is what jalen mayfield did in week one, which is just give Matt Ryan absolutely no time. And it doesn't matter if the four other guys do their job. It's that one uh, part of the dam that completely broke. And, and that's what Jalen Mayfield was last week, much better. And I think that's why the Falcons offense got a little bit um, back on track. But this has absolutely been a slow, much slower start offensively for Atlanta than I think a lot of people were expecting um, given that Arthur Smith was named head coach of this team. Everyone knows Matt Ryan, you know, respectable former 
NFL MVP and everything. And obviously he's an older quarterback. The Falcons passed on that opportunity to select Justin Fields, similar to the New York Giants, although both franchises are in different spots as of right now. Do you think Matt Ryan still has another year, another two years of football left? How's the ball kind of coming off of his arm right now? Is it washed? Is it Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> type? Because you hear a lot of people who are covering Pittsburgh saying that Roth isn't looking all that great. What, what's your overall assessment of Matt right now? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question because obviously age comes from, for everybody not named Tom Brady, um, and you <laughs> never know. You never know with, with somebody like Matt Ryan because it it you kind of need the larger sample size. And what I've also always heard is that when it comes to age, when it comes to injuries, things like that, it's it's not September that you're worried about. It's November, December, hopefully you're playing into January. And that's what we saw, I thought, with Ben Roethlisberger was early on. I mean, when they're eight, no, he's in like kind of MVP talks, early talks like that, because he was playing pretty well. And then just totally fizzled down the stretch to the point he couldn't do anything anymore. And I think that's what you saw kind of with Peyton Manning in his last year. It's it's more mm-hmm. just as they play more games, as they get hit throughout the course of the season, that's really when I think the the older players, you'll see it start to really trail off. So I think it's it's too early to tell with Matt Ryan because it, he looks he looks fine. The issues I don't think are with him. Now there his accuracy, and I tweeted this on Sunday, and and I I'm a massive fan of Matt Ryan. Um, but we we know how sensitive of a topic Matt Ryan can be on Twitter. I mean, there there are just some random days where Matt Ryan becomes a trending topic nationally, and it's because we're all just sitting here talking about is Matt Ryan like a borderline Hall of Famer or is he just a complete bust still in like year 13 of his career? Um, but his accuracy, I think, on some of the intermediate passes, you know, there was a great play that uh, Kyle Pitts made, their, their rookie tight end who everybody's really mm-hmm. high on, um, on a fourth and and like three, and it was just a, a quick slant, but the ball was behind Kyle Pitts. Now, is that is that just a, a simply the fact that the, this is a rookie working with a very veteran quarterback that maybe Kyle Pitts didn't break it off at the right angle that Matt thought he would? There's just a disconnect there because there's a lack of true, true familiarity. Um, or was it Matt just kind of put a bad ball on him and, and Kyle made it made a great play? I don't know the answer to that, but it's these types of things that I will be looking for throughout the season because I think that Matt's best game has always been the intermediate route, the 12 to, to kind of like 16, maybe cap it off at 20, those deep crossers. So he's never been a Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers like sling it down the field deep, deep anyway. So I think that part of Matt's game will age well, but that's where I worry about those little bit of accuracy miscues because those can start to add up big time. And if you start piling on the interceptions, that's where it, it probably falls apart for Matt Ryan. But I, I think he's got at least this year. If he plays well this year, I think they'll ask him back next year. Just to piggyback off that real quick, Will, it's interesting to me because this is part of why I was high on the Falcons offense coming in because I felt like a lot of what I saw from Arthur Smith's system in Tennessee would kind of work well and mesh with what Ryan does well. Like you said, those deep overs, those deep crossers. And I'm curious how much you think the impact of not having Julio Jones on the field, both like just from Ryan's familiarity with him, familiarity, familiarity <laughs> with him his rapport, the timing, the rhythm, the fact that defenses have to account for him. And I can't believe it took me three times to try to mispronounce that word and I still didn't get it right. This has really just been a rough start to the podcast for me, but it's okay. And 
how much of an impact do you think that has had on his on just the overall Falcons offense so far? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, podcasting is is a visual medium only, so don't worry about uh, the familiarity. Folks, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, no, I, it's a great point because it's obvious. It's something that I think. Uh, because it happened earlier in the offseason, we've we've kind of forgotten about it recently that that, oh, Julio Jones is actually no longer with this team. Um, and sometimes, even though he's getting older, uh, this was something that Ovi and I were talking about on, on the last podcast that we did. Even though Julio is getting older, he's still able to be the best player on the field in any one given play. And I don't know if the Fal- Calvin Ridley's great, but sometimes you need your one A to just beat the other team's 1A on on whatever play that you need to have. I think I think Calvin Ridley can can do that, but if a team is really determined to take Calvin out of the game, I think that's easier said than it was with with or easier done with him than it was with Julio. Even if you double teamed him, which they virtually every team always did, he's still making all these great plays. I want to see Calvin kind of win some some of those physical things because with route running I think that's a little bit easier to contain um Kyle Pitts I think can get there but it's not there yet and so it it, I just struggle so far I think to put my finger exactly on the issue for Atlanta's offense because my sense is it just seems like a, a team and a coaching staff that are getting to know one another I think the the roster familiarity with this coaching staff, it really does go two ways. You talk about the players fitting into the coaches' schemes, but it's how do these coaches decide to utilize the players? And you've got to spend some time with them. You've got to see them out on the field. You know, Russell Gage was drafted to be a, a special teams ace, essentially, and it took wide receivers coach Dave Brock to to bring Dan Quinn's attention. Hey, I think there's something to this kid. We should look at him as, as a wide receiver and really try to develop him. And they they gave Dave a lot of credit for spotting that. But it takes coaches time to really see the talent of these players and their specific talents. And then you start the really hard part about, okay, well, how do we go about putting together a game plan that utilizes all of these things that we want to do this? It's really complicated stuff. And it's why they spend, you know, 20 of the 24 hours of the day in in the team um, building. But I trust it will get right on track, you know, whether in the first game, like I mentioned, it was the offensive line, just they never could get in a rhythm in the second game. They had made it a game going into the fourth quarter. They, they kind of dominated Tampa Bay in the third quarter of that game. And you just had two tipped passes at the line of scrimmage that ended up getting picked off by Mike Edwards, who took them the other way. And that's why this game looked like a blowout, but the Falcons offensively really looked like they were turning a corner um, in that game. And, and I think they just haven't been as good in the red zone. So, I think the offense is going to get right. And I think there's a chance that it happens on Sunday, unfortunately uh, for you guys, but um, I trust that it will come around. But so far they have not had any one single player offensively kind of dominate in, in the way that we're so accustomed to seeing from Julio and Julio obviously did that in week two. So he's still got it. Um, But I think they're trying to, to, wait for somebody either to wake up and just have one of those performances like Calvin Ridley or for the cohesion of this unit, the sum of its parts to really 
take that next jump um, for them to be competitive this season. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick. Dot com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash BANTER. Well, so Giant fans, they studied Kyle Pitts a lot. I mean, it was a pipe dream for him to fall all the way to the Giants pick. There's a fascination around this player because he is just such a unique tight end prospect slash wide receiver. And just watching some of that week two film, you could see just the juice he has after the catch as well. How has Arthur Smith utilized him through two games? How does he look as a blocker? Just what's your overall assessment of that top five pick? Yeah, I mean, the the plan has always been to move Kyle Pitts around. And they have done that. Uh, and they they are... Uh, putting him in the slot. They are putting him in line as, as kind of more of your traditional um, wide receiver. They they've kind of can move him into the backfield some. Uh, they can just split him all the way out wide like a wide receiver. Um, but they've gone to him in two crucial uh, fourth down situations. It was the first one against Philly. Was, it was either fourth down, but it may have been like a third and one. Uh, but like I mentioned with the the Tampa game, that, that fourth down there. Uh, so they've gone to him in two fourth down and short situations. So they surely like his size and length in in those parts of the game to, to be able to make a quick grab and then pick up that one extra yard that he needs, you know, just by his pure arm length alone. I mean, he's got a seven-foot wingspan. So uh, they do clearly trust him. What I've really noticed about Kyle Pitts, because everybody talks about his length, his athleticism, the, uh, you know, how he never drops any balls, all of that stuff. This dude is really, really fast, like underratedly fast. And, and we know his 40 times incredible. Like it's either in the four fours or uh, mid four five. So he, it's got it, but it really jumps off the screen in a way that, that shocked me. And there, there have been a couple of times throughout the years where you've seen, um, you know, the Julio Jones, game-winning screen against Philly or uh, just a couple of different plays throughout the years that I've seen in person where you're like, this player is so much faster than other fast people. Like these are the top 1% of athletes in the world. And this dude just dusted, um, you know, uh, another incredible elite player. I think Kyle Pitts has moments like that in him. We've yet to really see it, but you can tell when he kind of catches the ball and he turns up field and he takes by like his third step, he's just moving at a little bit of a different gear than, than the guys around him. And I think that's the scariest proposition of all is once they figure out ways to 
get Kyle Pitts in in kind of open looks to get some yards after the catch, then I think defenses are really going to be in trouble because if if he can beat you with his feet, he can already beat you with his size and you know his his length is incredible. Like he could be the real deal. Uh, even though we haven't seen him necessarily have that breakout game yet. If you watch closely, all of the tools are there. I think it's just a matter of time. We're really high on the Giants' safeties, to be honest, on this podcast, and rightfully so. In both my and Dan's opinion, I'm sure, Dan, I'm sure you would agree with that. I'm not looking forward to the matchup with Kyle Pitts, and especially if Jabril Peppers drops down into the box and tries to man up on him because Pitts is just a different type of cat. But I wanted to ask you about this Falcons running back situation. So Coral Daryl Patterson is uh, highly involved. He was a wide receiver drafted in the first round by Minnesota a while back, and now he's kind of splitting time with Mike Davis. What exactly is going on there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, Cordell Patterson's been, I think, the Falcons' best offensive player, maybe best all-around player uh, through two games, which is surprising to to a lot of people because the Cordell Patterson experiment has been tried by a number of different teams throughout the league, uh, and you kind of bring him in as, as your primary kick returner. So, you know, he adds value there, but he's one of these guys that you look at and you're like, well, he's six, three, you know, he's, he's fast. Can maybe he can catch, like, how do we use him? I really like that. The Falcons said, you know what? It doesn't really matter if he can catch or not. Sure. He, he can, he is a former receiver. He's been used like that. He's got decent hands. But why don't we just turn around and hand him the ball and, and give him, he's such a good one cut runner, which you would expect from a kick returner. You know, it's find that one seam make the guy miss in in a short area space, make that juke, and then run like hell and get up the field. And that's exactly what Corderell Patterson has done so far through two games. And he's still the second to Mike Davis. Mike Davis is still getting the majority of the uh, carries, but they did utilize Corderell in kind of the key aspects of the game against Tampa Bay, you know, down in the red zone, third down these these high pressure situations so it's clear that they trust patterson um and and i don't know why they wouldn't he's a veteran it's not like he's he's a rookie or anything else but it could be a breakout season for him um in this offense because i i think that he could have had two touchdowns against tampa he ended up being barely pushed out of bounds on on a long run where he broke multiple tackles but that's what he's he's been doing is breaking tackles just making great plays great reads and picking up chunk yardage. And so far he's the only person for the Falcons that has really been able to do that. And I have to ask you a follow-up on that because we saw last week, not only Patterson, but Davis very involved in the passing game, with I believe seven receptions. Is this something the Giants fans need to look out for that the Falcons will be looking to get their uh, running backs involved in the passing game? Because, you know, this is something that hurt the Giants a bit last week and week two, the big play they gave up to, uh, McKissick and really in all honesty the Giants don't exactly have any linebackers in my mind who can cover very well one-on-one against these running backs even if you you know take it a step further beyond just Tay Crowder who you know looked pretty bad last week in this role and Martinez who doesn't is not his you know his forte is certainly not one-on-one coverage even beyond that Pepper struggled in week one with tight ends of course but even so you know running backs could also work into the mix there is this something that they're looking to do in this new Arthur Smith offense um, I think I think I would absolutely expect it this weekend but maybe for a little bit of a different reason and that is health uh, Russell Gage and Frank Darby their their rookie uh, both have missed the first two practices due to injuries Russell Gage uh, sustained an ankle injury against Tampa and, and Frank Darby has a, a calf injury. Uh, I'm my feeling right now is that those guys probably aren't suiting up on Sunday. 
And if that's the case, obviously more attention will be given probably to, to Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst as maybe those now they become those number two and three options behind Calvin Ridley. But I absolutely think that the Falcons would look to get um, their running backs the ball quickly, uh, get in front of the chains, you know, get the drive started. And I wouldn't be shocked, frankly, even if we see Corderell Patterson and Mike Davis out there at the same time um, in some various situations, because at, when when it comes to injuries, at some point you just you want to get your best guys out there on the field. It kind of doesn't matter what position they play. Like that's the whole notion of positionless basketball, positionless defense, whatever, all that stuff. Just get your best guys out there and, and go figure it out. Um, and I so I think that there's a greater than normal chance that the running backs will be a, a pretty big factor as receivers on Sunday against the Giants, not only because it's favorable from a matchup standpoint, because both Mike Davis and Patterson are really good receivers. I mean, that's that's it's such an underrated part of Mike Davis's game that now we've talked about being underrated so much that it's probably being properly rated. But uh, he's got really good hands. I mean, he had something like 60 catches last year uh, for Carolina. So both of these guys coming out of the backfield on any play um, will be an option, I think, for Matt Ryan. Before we transition to the defense, Will, I wanted to ask you about just Arthur Smith in general. What's the general vibe around Arthur Smith right now? Is that honeymoon phase over right now because you guys are 0-2? How is the fan base kind of responded to the former Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator? Yeah, um, it's so it's interesting because I, I've tried to think a lot about it from a the, the team positioning messaging standpoint because uh, at their introductory press conference, both Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot repeatedly said, you know, yes, we, we understand that this is a 4-12 and team, but we're coming in here to compete right away. And the expectation is that you're not going to be uh, drafting at number four again. So, you know, we don't expect to be there every year. We're coming in and compete. Yes, we know the financial limitations, all of that. But if you just looked at, at everything, kind of just lay it out black and white objectively, you had a team that hemorrhaged a lot of valuable veteran depth players because of financial reasons. They had to trade Julio Jones. So they, they have gotten worse this off season. They don't really, they never had any money financially to go try to replace some of that talent. So you've got a lot of guys on league veteran minimum one year contracts, getting to know each other for the first time, getting to know a new coaching staff, all of this. I, I just don't understand why the, the team set the message is kind of, we expect to compete where, and I, but I get why the coaching staff did it. Um, yeah. But I, I think that the expectation setting from the team didn't do too, too much to uh, impress upon the public that this was somehow a good football team. I think that the, the general standard was that this year probably wasn't going to go the way that the Falcons fans want them to even though they did start getting some sneaky wild card love i think right before the season started so nobody's necessarily like ready to pull out the pitchforks on arthur smith um there because i think the the way that the last few seasons have gone and it's just been uh absolutely a comedy of just misery um for atlanta i mean it it's insane i like i know i know new york fans are are long suffering but (laughs) Man, just like the the way to keep losing and have your heart to the swings last season when you're up 20 to nothing against Dallas in week two. And I mean, every 
Calvin Ridley's wide open for touchdowns. Hayden Hurst is wide open for touchdowns. You you force fumbles on the first like three possessions of that game. Everything was going right. And then to just watch it slowly sink away and then lose on the dumbest onside kick in NFL history. Like that's the type of stuff that we've been dealing with. So I think that as, as long as this team just shows some incremental growth throughout the season, Arthur Smith is going to be fine. People will be willing to give him um, a chance because we have we have taken so many lumps over the years that we are slowly being molded and formed into, um, I think, some smarter fans. Because when, when it's not just the wins and losses, you got to look at actually how the game is played. Um, and so I think that's kind of the approach a lot of Falcons fans are taking is to, all right, what are we seeing uh, how do we contextualize this instead of just blaming um, the head coach from a personality standpoint, Arthur Smith is, is much drier than Dan Quinn was. Um, Dan Quinn always was seen as like, I think a little bit, um, you know, the, the catchphrases, the, the slang, the, but the dude, he was extremely generous, very nice, um, knew his stuff, uh, but, but was optimistic at his heart. And I think you're seeing from Arthur Smith, more of just a straightforward cut and dry, you know, we didn't do our job, but we're going to, I'm not going to overreact to it one way or the other. We're not going to be too high, too low, all of that stuff. Whereas Dan Quinn was emotion. I think Arthur Smith is, is just kind of cool, calm, collected and is going to go. He's more of a, the X's and O's nerdy football um, mindset. So there is definitely a difference from a personality standpoint. Um, but I, I think, I think people still support Arthur Smith. We just are waiting to see it, right? Like it's still, they're still dangling the carrot, I think, in front of the fan base because what is what is a Falcons offense clicking on all cylinders with an Arthur Smith scheme look like? That's what we're all waiting for. Yeah, and I think that's a key point. And I think before we move on to like the other side of the ball, I do want to ask you one more thirty thousand foot question because it led me in, it then got me thinking about this, Will, and it's. The Falcons were in a very similar spot in my mind, not exactly the same, but very similar in this past draft that the Giants were in 2018 when they had the number two overall pick. The Giants opted to skip on that quarterback class to go for a shiny new toy and try to build around Eli for one last run. Now, I think Ryan, most of us would argue, has more left in the tank at this point than Eli did in 2019 or I'm sorry, in 2018. But I'm not so sure how much more. And I would also argue that you're much better investing in a tight end who can be a potential mismatch than you are a running back ever in the top four. <laughs> I think most people would agree with that, except for the Giants homers. And so it does make me wonder, though, where were you at at the time? Were you at? Were you for the Kyle Pitts decision? Were you for moving forward with, with Matt Ryan with this specific roster in place where you knew you had to get rid of Julio? You knew you were tight-strapped against the cap. You knew there were issues on the offensive line, on the defensive line as well, which we're seeing this year a lot with the Falcons. Secondary still kind of feels like a work in progress. They were shifting defensive systems. Like, Were you on board with this decision, or were you in the mindset of I, you wanted a specific quarterback? Um, with... At the time, I was uh, very strongly in the in the Justin Fields camp, um, but I I that I can say that and st still say that I loved the Kyle Pitts pick. I mean, I think both can be true at the same time, right? Um, because I think with my head, it, I would go quarterback. Yeah, it's just even if that doesn't mean that Matt Ryan's not on the team in twenty twenty one, he would still have been here. I just thought the the benefits of you know, truly being able to sit a guy for a year because there aren't many organizations that can do that, even if they want to try and start out from the beginning. Because as soon as that starter has a bad game, 
you're immediately hearing rumblings of, well, let's say, and, and that would have been the case in Atlanta too. It's the case in literally every American city. Like that's just what some fans do is they always want to see the next newest thing, but the team never would have taken that seriously. This would have been Matt Ryan's team, even if a new guy was here and he would have just had the benefit of learning for a year and sitting and watching one of the very best to ever do this. Um, but I'm happy for Matt Ryan. I mean, I, I like that, and I hope that he finishes his career here. Now, I understand um, the business decisions that need to be made financially, um, you know, whether it's talent-wise, physically, all of that stuff. But when Matt Ryan inherited this team, the franchise was at its lowest point, perhaps ever, and that's including the Super Bowl. Now, I, I you could maybe make the, a strong case that losing a Super Bowl in historic fashion is, is an incredibly low point, um, but they had just gone through all the uh, Michael Vick stuff. Bobby Petrino left the team in the middle of the 2007 season to go to Arkansas, and they had no direction. And Matt Ryan kind of came in and, and helped give them that North Star. And it's so rare nowadays to really get somebody who plays for one team throughout their career that I love the thought of just being able to think about Matt Ryan for the rest of my life and be like, yep, nope, he's our guy. He was Atlanta all the way, 100%. Um, and so that was kind of my heart decision is, yeah, I know, I know it's probably better to set up the organization and draft a quarterback here and, and kind of start the timer on Matt Ryan's era coming to an end. But also, wouldn't it be really fun to just pair Matt Ryan with a unicorn at the tight end position and run this thing back and let's see what he... Because I don't think we've yet to see the the cliff for Matt Ryan. And, and I know the way that he approaches his preparation. I've seen him up close do it. I, I've talked to him about it. Um, I think he's got more of a chance. And he's... The other thing that's huge, very little injury history. He's only missed, I think, three games like in his entire career or four games maybe now. And he, he does take a lot of hits. So I would be worried about that, but it's not like he's got the Drew Brees, Peyton Manning aspect to worry about where, you know, he's had surgeries. He's, he's got legitimate like degenerative shoulder neck stuff. None of that. So I would bet on Matt Ryan being better for longer than people think than for the end to come, you know, to, on Sunday. So there's no Josh Rosen talk. <laughs> uh, the Josh Rosen stuff is is interesting, man. I mean, I see for that exact reason, I loved that signing. I absolutely loved that signing because you've got a you've got a young guy who still has you know potential upside, all of that stuff. You got him for peanuts, and now you can bring him in and see. Okay, well, is this a product of? the individual or is it the product of the systems that the individual has been placed in because he had probably the worst two possible starting uh, teams to start with, with Arizona who wanted him gone immediately as soon as they got a new coach and then Miami who wanted him gone uh, immediately as soon as they drafted a new quarterback. So it, let's see what he can do, bring him in and hopefully he's not playing too much this season, but trust the coaching staff to, to evaluate him and develop him and see what happens. Love it, Will. So we want to be cognizant of your time, but we want to touch on the defense a little bit. Yep. And we know Dean Pease, who Giant fans are very familiar with because he was the New England Patriots defensive coordinator back in 2007. Shout out to Cover Zero, <laughs> Ellis Hobbs getting beat by Plexico Burris. Anyways, what's the overall vibe about Dean Pease? What kind of coverage has he kind of utilized through two games to kind of try and slow down Tom Brady's offense? And what did he do in week one as well against Jalen Hurts? 
Yeah, so I, I think the big storyline uh, and talking point when Dean Pease got here was, hey, we're going to be blitzing from the heavens, from everywhere. You know, you're never going to know where we're coming from. So far, we really haven't seen that. Uh, I think they only blitzed Tom Brady on like four snaps um, last week, but he, I think it was like three of four with two touchdowns on those four snaps. So obviously, there are potentially no defensive coordinators that know Tom Brady better than uh than Dean Pease after you know having to uh, coached against him in so many big games coached uh you know on the New England Patriots coaching staff while Tom played there so I I think that you would trust Dean Pease to kind of know the game plan but he he's yet to really rack up the pressure um but I do think that there's a good chance that kind of changes on Sunday because you mentioned the the Giants offensive line and you know some of the struggles there. Obviously Daniel Jones is a threat to to run with the ball, but I I do think that they will probably trust some of the athletes that they've got. You know, Deion Jones I trust to track down Daniel Jones. Um it could be a battle of the Joneses all day um on Sunday and <laughs> and they've got they've got some pretty good athletes on the back end of the defense. I think they'll trust their speed to get home with Daniel Jones, but so far um, it, it was, they were very, they were very zone coverage oriented against Tom Brady, against Jalen hurts. There was so much read option. The defense did kind of break down there for a little while, but they certainly weren't the reason the Falcons lost that game. Um, but the, the jury's still kind of out on a uh, defensive identity for the Falcons as well. I know, I know it's such a cop-out answer for like both sides of the ball to not really have kind of a strong identity yet but you know when you're when you're zero and two you're looking for more answers than than you have and uh, I think that's the case on defense as well but I, I if I was going to make a prediction I would expect them to try to maybe heat up Daniel Jones a little bit with with some pressure uh, on Sunday that's completely understandable as well I mean you guys have a new coaching staff so the identity hasn't necessarily been set and if it has it's not a winning identity I want to ask though should Giant fans kind of be worried about the Giants offensive line against Grady Jarrett and Dante Fowler, do those two still pack a lot of juice and, and bring a lot of burst and pass rushing pressure to this defense? Yes. I mean, if you're looking from a pure talent standpoint, I, I do think that those are, are still the two um, top names. I, I do think the Falcons are going to be a little bit more um, free in rushing their linebackers as well. And so I think, you know, I would add Deion Jones and, and Foye Lewican to that list of of guys to maybe worry about um Grady has not been dominant yet but I do think from what I've seen he's getting a lot of attention and and the offensive lines that they they just played were two pretty good offensive lines Eagles still have a good offensive line and and Tampa's is is really good so um if there's if there is a week for Grady to flash it would be um probably on Sunday uh again sorry sorry for y'all but uh, I, I would look for him and, and Dante Fowler got a strip sack, uh, in Tampa. So he's obviously kind of coming off of a good game and he needs to have a, a big year after taking a, uh, a pay cut this off season. Uh, and he had a pretty, pretty weak first showing for Atlanta last season, I think with only three sacks. We want to get into this secondary before we get you out of here. And one of the more promising players on the defense, AJ Terrell seems like he may not play because he left the game with a yep. concussion, I believe. How do you think these Giants receivers will hold up against 
your guy's secondary, Sands Terrell, who seems to be probably the best asset in that secondary. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, AJ AJ is absolutely the uh, the the best asset, and, and it's a shame for him with the concussion because I mean he was he was probably the star of camp um, for Atlanta. Just seemed from from beginning to end, and, and training camp can be kind of misleading because a guy could have a great first two days and then really trail off or what. But from beginning to end, AJ. Um, by all accounts, very sharp, was where he needed to be, knew his assignments, was taking on, um, you know, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, didn't matter, shutting him down, things like that. This is actually a matchup that I like for you guys, really, really do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, you can get Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, those guys can have have some big games because if A.J. Terrell is out, and again, it's looking like he he probably will be, they have talked about potentially sliding Isaiah Oliver from the slot outside, which he's done before, but he's proven to be a better slot corner than an outside corner. They have Fabian Moreau um, on the other side as well. He's, he's a veteran, but there's not a lot of depth um, at corner. TJ Green, who is a converted safety, but can also kind of play corner, might factor into the mix there a little bit. Um, but no, I absolutely... The safety position is is much deeper than it looked coming uh, into the offseason because that was the position where you had to get rid of Keanu Neal, um, Ricardo Allen, DeMonte Casey. Like all of the safeties who the Falcons had were they were unable to re-sign. And they brought in Eric Harris, Ron Harmon. Uh, they had Jalen Hawkins and then they drafted Rich Grant. So that is is a sneaky kind of, I think, good position for Atlanta that not a lot of people are talking about. So if, if there is kind of part of this defense that um, the Giants passing game may want to look out for it, it would be the safety position. But from a corner standpoint, um, I'm a little bit worried because I, I do, I like y'all's receivers and I think they've got the edge this week. So I'm, I'm a little curious to see what kind of defense the Falcons do choose to employ for that reason. Wanted to ask you too, man, about Richie Graham. What's going on? Six defensive snaps so far this season. Why isn't he seeing the field? Uh, well, I, th- I think it. I think it's for that exact reason I just mentioned. Uh, there's a little bit of a logjam, but the the coaching staff has praised him for his role on special teams. He's he's really carving out something um, there and and making an impact. But yeah, I mean, when I I love the pick. A lot of people are really high on Richie Grant. It seems like he's he's an interesting. Um, player brings a really interesting skill set but a little bit quieter camp than I think people were expecting you know if I if I was going to make a bet on kind of who who would be my dark horse to run away with camp I I probably would have said Richie Grant but he's he's kind of doing the role that the coaches are setting for him and I think that the sense I'm getting right now from Arthur Smith a little bit is he wants to give his rookies some time I don't think he loved throwing Jalen Mayfield out there uh, because of injury as he did. I think that Kyle Pitts is is really the only rookie that they're super duper trusting right now. And mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see if Richie develops more of a, a defensive role throughout the season, or if it truly just is, Hey, Eric Harris and Ron Harmon are our starting safeties and your second or third team. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of puzzling for sure, but I don't think it's anything to worry about. Okay, so we're just going to ask you one more question and then ask for a prediction after that. So technically two more questions, <laughs> Will. But uh, 
What's the best way for the Giants to win this matchup against the Falcons? How should the Giants attack this team on offense and on defense? What 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 would be the matchups you think that are very exploitable about the Falcons? Yeah, that, that's a it's a great question. I, I think what I like what I just mentioned with the wide receivers, um, it would be mm-hmm. probably would start there. Is I would um, I would actually try to win this game with explosive plays if I was the the Giants, which is not. That's not usually the way that the way that I go um, go about a game plan. I, I tend to be more of the hey, play within yourself, don't make make the mistakes. But I think kind of here because I like I would make the field as big as possible. Make Atlanta defenders have to cover every inch of the field because you've got a mobile quarterback who can exploit space um, when nobody's looking, and I think that. Truly for Atlanta's defense right now, their their corners are looking like um, a, a weakness. And I just think that you've got two good wide receivers who can really make take advantage of that. Um, and then I would use Saquon as kind of more of the the, the plan B, but exploit him in, in super or use him in very advantageous kind of like when a team wouldn't be thinking that you would use him, but try to just, if you can hit, on some deep balls throughout this game. Uh, I like, I like the offensive offense for the giants, uh, to kind of beat the Falcons defense that way. And then defensively, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit, I, I think you got to get some turnovers probably it, this, the Falcons have played, uh, coming off of Tampa who has a, a great defense and Philly who has an interesting defense, um, and, and I think a really good front four that clearly impacted that game, to be honest, I'm kind of looking at this as maybe that game that Atlanta's offense breaks out. So for that reason, I like, I don't have a great, great way for the giants defense, to, like assert their, I just think that Atlanta's kind of going to come into this with the right mentality, really sharp. I think Matt Ryan's going to, you know, say a lot to the team this week. We we're not starting zero three again. Like we're just, we're not doing it. Um, so, but, but I think takeaways, I think if the Falcons are kind of aggressive or sloppy um, and it's, it's a big penalty game for them, you know, Matt's, Matt's a little bit off receivers are dropping balls and the, and the giants can, you know, knock one or two out. Like there's a, there is a path to victory there because the the Falcons kind of can have some of those games uh, and they can sometimes look a little bit sleepwalky. Um, it's a it's the second game uh, second game straight on the road for them. The Giants are coming off of a long week. It's the second team in a row that's coming off of a Thursday night game to play Atlanta. So they they could come in looking a little bit uh, frazzled or, or just out of sorts. Um, but I'm not expecting it from Atlanta's offense this week. Uh, but but turnovers would be would be the Giants' uh, <laughs> path to victory. I think on defense. Okay, and then Will, we just got to ask you one last question. What's your prediction for this game? Yeah, you know, actually, so <laughs> this it's something I usually think about a little bit beforehand. For whatever reason, I haven't this week because, yeah, my my gut my gut for Tampa and Atlanta was thirty four twenty four. That looked to be kind of right on point for a second there until the the pick sixes. Um, but for this, I think I I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Atlanta and I'm going to pick Atlanta's offense to, to have a big game. And so I I think I'm going to go 35. uh, Let's go 35, 
24. Wow, that's only one point off wow. of what I said last time. <laughs> God damn it. All right, I really like that path. But 35-27. 35-27. Let's do that. Final pick. Let's get Graham to know that extra yeah, field goal. There you go. Yeah, Daniel Jones, <laughs> he'll scramble enough for them to, to get uh, one half halftime kick, I think, right in there with like three seconds left. I could see Graham Gano, uh setting up for that one. We'll see on the Giants side of things, we're hoping that Patrick Graham, who a lot of Giant fans have a lot of faith in, can stabilize that defense that has a lot of really good personnel. For for my prediction, I have 29-27 Giants. Okay. I, I think the Giants, I think they have to win this football game. And I think it's going to be interesting. I definitely don't think it's a cakewalk like some people are building it see, up that's, to be. See, that's interesting. I want to ask you about that because I, this, I've talked to a couple of, of Giants people this week, it kind of seems like both teams are coming out, both fan bases are coming into this game weirdly confident despite being 0 2. That's exactly right. We were weirdly confident going into last week. The film shows it. I mean, I've talked to some Washington football people too who cover the team. Giants looked like the better team. They blew that game. There were a lot of reasons they blew that game stupid mistakes, stupid penalties, coaching not to lose, but they left points on the field on offense. But Coming into this game, it feels like they figured something out on offense. We'll see if that's the case. My prediction, though, is a lot lower scoring. <laughs> it's just like I'm not going to dive into a 29-27 or a 34-27 right now because I've only basically seen that once or twice or three times with Jason Garrett. <laughs> like this offense just typically doesn't put up points, and so I have a and it's in MetLife. You know, it could be medium weather. Like I just have a feeling it's going to be a little bit more low scoring than people think. I'm actually going 24 to 13 giants. I think the Falcons are going to struggle to move the ball. I think Graham's going to get this together on defense this week in this specific matchup, uh, you know, with a little bit of a easier matchup in my mind, just based, not based on paper, but just based on what I've seen so far from the Falcons offense, it doesn't look the same without Julio to me. And it looks like defenses are able to scheme it a little differently. Things have been a little bit more difficult for Ridley in that sense. And they're still kind of working pits in. So until he becomes like the key cog, I think he should be. And you even see the stats. Like I'm sure you've seen him. Will. like Falcons are generating a lot more offense with pits on the field than off the field right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it, there's, there's such a dumb thing. I'm sure it happens in New York too, but when people are kind of like, well, why wasn't Kyle Pitts on the field for this? Like first red zone play. It's, People did it all the time with Julio, and, and I'm like, if you if you just kind of watch the player, don't follow the ball, watch Julio on any given play, the man is sprinting 35 yards and then jogs back to the huddle and then sprints 45 yards and then jogs back to the huddle and then sprints 12 yards, catches a ball, fights off two grown men, sprints another 17 yards. He needs a break. The guy needs a break. And so <laughs> I, so many people, uh, not to just go on a, a last late podcast rants against hey these are actual also human beings and they are elite athletes but like sometimes you need a little bit of a break uh that being said kyle pitts is among the exceptional uh i think human beings ever invented and it's only a matter of time before he breaks out mm -hmm. let's hope it's not this week will do you have any plugs for us man plug yourself uh no nah, dude I, I gave everything up at the at the top so i i just really enjoyed uh hanging out talking about what yeah let's hope that this game is actually like a pretty good game like let's let's hope that this is an entertaining fun compelling game and people are coming in monday morning we're all turned on our favorite podcast and, and they're kind of like you know it was actually really underrated as like a fun cool game that giants falcons matchup man those two oh and two teams came in and they were trading touchdowns trading sacks turnovers all that stuff like i just hope i hope we see some of that on sunday because i we all deserve it. You know, let's do a collective New York, Atlanta. Um, 
camaraderie here. We're, we're long-suffering fans. Let's just ask for a good game on Sunday, right? I agree, but I can assure you that if the Giants, if it's, if it's that game that you just laid out and the Giants lose, the fan base will not be appreciative that it was that kind of game. <laughs> no, no, but we had enough <laughs> yeah. of that last year, so you guys can get a, a little bit of a taste of that. <laughs> yeah. We've had a lot of losing too, my man. All right, Will. Hey, thank you so much, though, for joining us. You have a lovely one, dude. And, uh, you know, this is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Danny, you have anything you want to say? Just uh, everybody get ready for what should be hopefully an entertaining game. It's a must win for both sides, so they should be leaving it all out there. Thanks again for joining us, Will. And you can obviously follow his work. Find out where at the top of the show. Um, otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.